This morning's reading is from the Christian non-canonical text, Thunder, Perfect Mind, verses 1, 5 through 2.2. I am the first and the last. I am she who is honored and she who is mocked. I am the whore and the holy woman. I am the wife and the virgin. I am he, the mother and the daughter. I am the limbs of my mother. I am a sterile woman and she has many children. I am she whose wedding is extravagant and I didn't have a husband. I am the midwife and she who hasn't given birth. I am the comfort of my labor pains. I am the bride and the bridegroom, and it is my husband who gave birth to me. I am my father's mother, my husband's sister, and he is my child. I am the slave woman of him who served me. I am she, the Lord of my child, but it is he who gave birth to me at the wrong time. And he is my child born at the right time. And my power is from within him. I am the staff of his youthful power. And he is the baton of my old womanhood. Whatever he wants happens to me. I am the silence never found and the idea infinitely recalled. I am the voice with countless sounds in the thousand guises of the word. I am the speaking of my name. Good morning. What makes you feel whole and aligned with spirit or humanity? Does the world's perception of you align with who you know yourself to be? When I was eight years old, I felt like I was becoming a boy. I personally wanted to be a girl, but what was clear to me at that time and what would remain crucial to accepting myself as I am in the future was the task at hand of integrating both of these male and female spirits or gender identities within me. I want to be clear though, the part of me that feels, feels male, in addition to female, is part of my true essence, the self I was born into. I did not feel that the world saw me as male, rather the maleness in me was part of my authentic identity. My desire to be female when I was eight was equally a part of my authentic being. In a sense, this integration of both genders was not so much a struggle within me, but the struggle emerged with how or what the world was willing to perceive me as. The perceptions of those in my personal and professional life did not always align with who I felt myself to be. And this felt inhibiting and frustrating to me, as I did not feel free enough to bring my whole self into my work and to some of my relationships. In elementary school, I received conflicting feedback from my teachers and upsetting and harmful put downs from bullies, 
who labeled me at times too slow, too shy, and at other times too bold, too much. Really, I was perceived as too anything or that which was de deemed undesirable to keep me in a place of discomfort and exclusion, to keep me othered. I have gravitated towards the unconventional, unorthodox, the oppressed and the outcast my whole life. Individuals who choose to, or more often are forced to, draw their identity from within rather than adhere to society's expectations and acquiesce to another's parameters remain closest to my heart. Rather than submitting to the mold, measure, and mend to become efficient parts of a machine, I found that these people become movers and shakers who work to change society and the world to create space, spaces inclusive of all. I have been a nonconformist my entire life, much to the chagrin of my parents and teachers. It never seemed practical to adapt to ill-fitting norms and definitions intended to temper and appease those who are resistant to social change and too comfortable in their positions of power. In September, I took a weekend class at Union Theological Seminary on the extra-canonical text, The Thunder Perfect Mind. Extra-canonical texts were written around the same time as the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, but did not become canonized or included in the Bible for a variety of reasons, known and unknown. These texts are fascinating to me because in reading them, I love to try and imagine what it is about the texts that were found unorthodox, deviant, unacceptable, or even heretical, so much so as to be excluded from the biblical canon. Many of the authors who wrote these texts are not known. They may have been written by Jesus followers or groups of early Christians who developed different sects of Christianity before certain orthodox beliefs and understandings were officially recognized by the new and emerging dominant church. This text, one of many unearthed from a clay jar in the deserts of Egypt in 1945, is believed by scholars to date back to the second or third century. Its poetic-like verses present a female and also gender-fluid narrator who reveals paradoxical and metaphorical statements about her own identity. I am she who is honored and she who is mocked. I am she whose wedding is extravagant and I didn't have a husband. The text seems to suggest that the narrator is experiencing some dissonance between how others perceive her and the truths she knows and embodies within her. These truths may appear as contradictions to those in her social, social sphere. Her roles as mother, father, husband, wife, poor, holy woman, bride and bridegroom, lord and servant, are clearly defined by our external world, yet she finds herself bridging the gap between these social expectations. She embodies both traditional roles assigned to women in her time, while equally assuming male roles, roles of public recognition, reverence, and authority. 
These statements also suggest that her true identity does not fit neatly into the space she occupies in her world. She is both accepted and met with scorn and violence for her deviance from accepted roles. I wonder if this divine or enlightened human narrator's motivation for writing this text comes from a desire, as in a plea or a lament, to find a place, a space where she can thrive with the freedom to fully embody the illusion of paradoxes within her. These paradoxes may not be her own, but merely embedded into her world and imposed upon her. Perhaps she seeks affirmation for who she really is in the face of a binary world. This text seems to me to be a radical act of defiance against a binary world. And naturally, it makes me wonder why the text, along with others, was buried, not destroyed, in a clay jar in Nag Hammadi, Egypt. At roughly the same time, early Christian orthodoxy and hierarchy were becoming indoctrinated. I think the narrator's, narrator's desire to find acceptance for and affirmation of her true authentic being may resonate with many of us. Oftentimes, that which appears to others as paradoxical within us is what is projected onto us by our external world. Who we know ourselves to be may risk becoming fractured in light of the binaries imposed upon us by others. <clears throat> I personally experienced this sense of fracture and dissonance in my 20s, both in my personal and professional life. After experiencing a series of traumatic events, I felt called to move to San Francisco when I was 28 years old. I had very little money, no permanent residence, and was severely underemployed. Despite having a few friends in the area, I felt truly alone. I was alone with the parts of myself that had been rejected on the East Coast. And worst of all, I had lost sight of myself and my connection to the sor that source whom I call God. I no longer, embo longer embodied the true essence of myself and the peaceful presence I had known as a child through God. In Islam, taqwa in Arabic, or God consciousness, is an awareness all humans are born with. As we mature, we lose sight of or forget the connection we have with Allah or God and need signs or ayat in Arabic in the world to return us to a state of taqwa and right, right relationship with Allah. We can extend this idea of taqwa to apply to our own sense of wholeness or spiritual presence in the world. We may choose to understand taqwa as a feeling, a sense of connection to our source or an alignment within ourselves and in our relationships. When I moved to San Francisco, I felt disconnected or separated from this intuitive knowing and alignment. Several challenging professional and personal experiences had left me feeling fractured and not fully seen or affirmed by my family and colleagues. During my most dissonant and despairing moments, I took to walking the streets of San Francisco at night, looking for some insight or sorts of healing and union within me. 
I rediscovered the Peter Gabriel song in the blood of Eden at this time and listened to it on repeat on my iPod, which some of you may remember being all the rage in 2007. The song's lyrics talk about the divide that exists between men and women, proceeding from the Genesis story of Adam and Eve and their fall and expulsion from the Garden of Eden. The song seems to be a plea for union, a harmonizing and healing of the, of the divide between men and women, and that through our relationships, we are forever seeking the union that was lost in Eden. However, for me, the song's meaning extends beyond hetero cisgender relationships between men and women. For me, the song includes LGBTQ and non-binary folks as well. The lyrics speak of the union of the man in the woman and the woman in the man. The song speaks of an, an internal union of the different aspects of our identity within us. In the tarot, the lover's card does not just apply to romantic unions, but to the union of the self. This is the kind of union that I sought in San Francisco, in addition to my praying for peace and understanding between men and women. As we mature, we inherit and accumulate layers of expectations which are imposed upon our bodies, our genders, our races, and all facets of ourselves that carry the trauma and harm of the past with them. We need spiritual signs and people we trust to help us peel back the layers of the onion and return to what is most authentic aligned within ourselves. I believe this plea for healing and union in both the Thunder Perfect Mind text and in Peter Gabriel's song is a plea to harmonize the binaries and contradictions that are in ourselves, but that the binary world also inflicts upon us. <clears throat> I believe that through self-compassion and compassion for others, especially those who are different from us, we can cultivate the empathy we need by learning to identify with the struggles and the joys of others and listen deeply to their lived experience. And we also need to seek out and create community, communities where our true identities, our source of knowing ourselves is honored and affirmed and not subject to binary perceptions that limit our expression. Audre Lorde has a famous quote that I feel embodies this need of ours to honor our whole authentic selves in defiance of a binary world. It reads, if I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into the pe people's fantasies for me, into other people's fantasies for me, and eaten alive. Lord's assertion of her own identity, defined by and for herself, is not a choice but a mandate, a means of survival in the world. My intention for each of you is that you allow your whole selves to thrive as a statement, as an act of defiance against those who would impose their definitions of you onto your beautiful and complex beings. This is not an easy task by any means, but my hope, my intention, is that through reclaiming the spaces each of us has, has been born into 
and is entitled to from birth, we can create harmony within ourselves and in the fractured world as well. Amen, and may it be so.